Chow to the latest internet sensation. If it's happening in Melbourne, Seb Costello all over it. People are banging on the door. Seb, you're a pest, mate. I'm a better fighter than this bloke. It started with him trying to take a hanger on me on the dance floor. There's no one who's shown more genius. Good morning, Seb, and good morning to all your listeners. Weekend Breakfast with Seb Costello on Triple M. Good morning and happy Saturday, October 29. Derby Day in Melbourne. The weekend breakfast back by popular demand. In fact, even Rod Marsh, Australia's chief cricketing selector, was listening last week. Here's what he thought of the host. Probably opened his mouth before his brain got working. Well, get stuffed, Rod. Why didn't you pick Jackson Bird anyway? We'll talk about that later. And today, the show is all about following your dreams. It sounds like a cliche, but bear with me. We've got Kieran Maher on the show, the overweight jumps jockey turned trainer who now has the Melbourne Cup favourite in Jamaica. We've got a young Aussie whose life has completely changed thanks to sport. Danny Green, of course, well, he's following a dream to beat Anthony Mundine for the first time. Is this just about the ultimate Aussie poker night? Last night in Melbourne, there was a poker night held in an address, which I will keep secret, that included this guest list. Shane Warne the greatest bowler this country has ever produced. Brendan Favola, the great dead set legends host, who still considers himself, if you don't mind, the best football forward in the country. I like it. Jeff Fennick was there. Stevie Milne was there, the St Kilda goal sneak. Campbell Brown, of course, the great friend of the Triple M audience, was there. And Stevie Baker, the former hard man of the Saints. And I've got a recording from the night, which I just want to share with you so you can close your eyes and picture what it would be like to sit there with these great men. The first and last voice you will hear is Stevie Baker, who was putting it all in on a big bet, and you'll find out at the end how that bet went. What did you f- say? I call. <laughs> <laughs> hey, turn the coach over. Get him over. Yep, he was looking for a card that he didn't get, so that was the end of his night. But what an extraordinary guest list. Jeez, that'd be fun. You can check that out. It's actually on uh, Brownie's Instagram page, uh, Brown Dog. So you can have a look at that if you want to check out the video yourself. I'll chuck it on my Twitter as well. At SebCostello9 is the link for that. It seems every Saturday we get in and there's a dopey driver of the day. This week's Toby Driver of the Day is a 34-year-old from Tembi Point, which is down on the way to Phillip Island, down near the Gerties there. Love saying the Gerties. Well, he was driving just after midnight near Sale, Red Flag. That's about two hours' drive apart. Anyway, he comes to a roundabout and goes through it the wrong way. Mm, That's Red Flag number two. The police pull him over, they run his licence, and they find... That his licence actually means he's supposed to be driving a car with an interlock device, which is one of those devices where you have to breathe into it. It has to see that you're sober, and that has to happen before the car even starts. Well, he's not driving a car with an interlock device. That's his third red flag. So they decide to put him through a preliminary drug test. Lo and behold, positive test. Fourth red flag. So... He has now been charged with some serious charges, including breaching alcohol interlock conditions, failing to keep left, and the drug charges as well. Congratulations, you are our dopey driver of the week. Now, for the past fortnight, Wayne Gardner, Australia's 1987 MotoGP champion or Premier Motorcycle Class champion, as it was known back then, has been in custody in Japan. They let his son go, Remy, so he could come race at the island. But there is a development on that story, and it's good news. Wayne Gardner is coming home. 
He arrives this morning. But the way the justice system works over there is they'd only let him go if he agreed to plead guilty and paid a fine of around 300,000 yen. So that's three grand. It's a very strange system, but at least he's out of custody. Still to come this morning, want to look at Rod Marsh and the cricket team that'll take on South Africa in a week's time. And also Kieran Ma, the trainer of the Melbourne Cup favourite, Jamaica, is on the show. But how about this guy this week? and fitness with Danny Green. And it's been a massive week for this man. The four-time world champion, Danny Green, confirmed this week he will fight Anthony Mundine for a second time under lights at the Adelaide Oval on the 3rd of Feb next year. The South Australian government coming to the party. Greeny, how did you pull this one off? Oh, look, mate, it was, um, it was a long time coming. Only only took 10 years to pull it off. <laughs> but, uh, you know, look, we're finally here and... We, 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 Chuck and I don't agree on anything, let alone where we're going to fight. So he wanted to have it in, in Sydney. I wanted to have it either in Perth, more likely over in Melbourne, in my in my kind of second home away from home now. Uh, I was very keen to have it there, and uh, we just couldn't come to, to, to terms and couldn't agree on a fair few things. And South Australian government pitched a, a proposal to us, and then we kind of went and met them. It was just like, wow, these guys were so enthusiastic. And, um, you know, that to us was the most exciting part, and that was what helped drive the decision was just how excited they were and how thrilled they were to have the opportunity to stage this event there. Mate, we're all excited too. You mentioned that uh, you and Anthony Mundine don't see eye to eye on many things. He's been talking a bit of smack as he tends to do. Take a listen to this. I'm talking about this and that, man. He's talking garbage. You know, what I'm about to do has never been done. Never been done in the sport. You know, a guy coming from super welterweight to overlight weight to Denny weight and kicking his ass. When he gets tagged up a few times, and I'm in his ear saying, you hit like a little bitch, what's he going to do then? What do you make of that, mate? He can talk all he wants, but he, he, gonna, he ain't going to have much gas to be able to talk. If he does, if he is able to talk, it's not going to be very coherent because he's going to be in a lot of pain. So <laughs> I'm not fussed about all the crap that he speaks. And all this crap about the weight, that is completely untrue. And, and the limit's 83. That's what's fair for both because I had to come down a little bit. And I don't have much weight to lose, so it's hard for me. But that's his choice. If he wants to fight at a lower weight, that banana can fight at whatever weight he wants, whatever weight he wants to. But don't bang on with excuses because there is no excuse about the weight. So 83 is the catch weight for the fight officially. Exactly. You know, it's 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 fair because last time we fought at a, at a weight for me that it was simply unrealistic because I'd grown out of super middleweight a year before we fought. I couldn't make super middleweight, so it was very difficult. He played first grade footy. At 90 kilograms. I've never been 90 kilograms in my life. Well, mate, speaking of weight, you're going to need every inch of your Danny Green fitness program, teamdannygreen.com.au, to get that off. Mate, I, I've been, I've ba- I basically live it. So for me, it's, it's something that I don't kind of just come up with a thing and, hey, let's, let's release a health and fitness program. I live it. You know, people know me that, that, that I train, you know, every day like a demon. But the most important part of it is the nutrition. And that's what I've been basically living for the last, you know, X amount of years or my whole life, but really focusing on the last year and a half to keep my weight down and trim down because I don't want to lose the weight at the end of it and do it tough. I just want to do it easily, coast in and um, and, and monitor my weight. So living the Teams Any Green program, the nutrition side of it, is perfect and it's how I'm doing it. Mate, I did want to ask you, there were some news reports who had used a microphone to pick up a discussion between you and Anthony Mundine. And on the report, I think it was on the Seven Network, they quoted you as having called Anthony a terrorist. 
Now, given that Anthony is a Muslim, that's always going to be a pretty controversial sort of area to wade into. Was that report right? Oh, obviously not, mate. I, I, I found out about it the next day. Someone said, what are you doing, Granny? What's this about? And um, it was actually a friend of mine who was in the Muslim community in Sydney. And uh, I didn't know. And I was like, and I was gobsmacked. And I was like, are oh, you kidding me? So I ran the heads of Channel 7 immediately, got in the blower straight away, and said, this needs to be rectified ASAP. So they have a, they have a, a, a bit of software that has voice recognition. I don't know what's happened to, 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 to manual labour, but this voice recognition <laughs> needs to be thrown at the door. And in the context of the conversation, Chuck's talking his usual smack, and I've said, oh, you're scary. And then he said something else and said, I'm terrified. Right. And then somehow this stupid machine has come out with the, 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 the subtitles saying, you're a terrorist. So it's completely wrong, completely untrue, something that I'd never say. I'm not raised that way, mate, and, and, and everyone knows me knows that's not how I am. And uh, they fixed it immediately, and, um, yeah, that's it. It's been put to rest. Mate, I'm glad we could address that because I know you and I know that's a place where you would never go because uh, you've got too much respect for people to do that. Speaking of respect, though, Jeff Fennick, I reckon, lacked a bit of respect for you and Anthony. Here's what he had to say about the fight coming up on February the 3rd, 2017. I know for a fact that these guys were talking about fighting in Melbourne, meeting up and having a fake argument in front of people to, make, to, to hype the fight up. To me, this is just a joke. It's a joke, a total joke. Is it a joke? Oh, the guy, he sounds like he's about to internally combust the poor old fellow. <laughs> a little garden named Drew blowing himself up. But um, the funny thing is, a mate of mine in Sydney said to me, Jeff's banging on about this thing. And yeah, we all know Jeff is a very, very kind of bitter man. He, he, he's that bitter that he'd make a lemon screw his face up. So <laughs> he, um, he, he's banging on. But what he forgets is in 2004, when I was, at, when I was a rude old super middleweight, pretty much the last time I was at that weight, he threw me in against James Tony, a sparring session against James Tony, who was over 120 kilograms, got got stripped of the world title three months after I sparred him that he won against John Ruiz because he tested positive to steroids. Jeff knew he was on steroids because Freddie Roach told us that, but he still threw me in there to spar James Tony. And I went seven rounds toe-to-toe with an absolute murderous puncher. But he finds, and, and, and I was 85, 84 kilograms ring and wet. I mean, it's a guy who was giving, I was giving like 40 kilograms. So, you know, Jeff really has to kind of, you know, remember that he, he, really, he should think before he starts screaming and yelling. And, um, yeah, it, it, it's just, it's a, it's a lot of bitterness coming from, from a very bitter, you know, little man. Man, I can imagine James Tony. for those who don't know, an American boxer who fought at heavyweight. I mean, he's so big, he played Joe Frazier in the 2001 Ali film where Will Smith was Muhammad Ali. So that gives you an idea of just how chunky hey, this guy is. Hey, Seb, and, and, and to put it in perspective, it wasn't a sparring session because it was the very first inaugural gym wars. They had a thing called gym wars back in the day, and it's still running, and it was a max boxing website, the biggest boxing site in the world, and they put it up as their very first inaugural gym wars because... It wasn't a sparring session. It was an all-out war. So it was, it was more than a... So he'll go, oh, it's a sparring session. Man, if that guy could have taken my head off, he would have. I just didn't enable him to do that. So, you know, he, he contradicting everything he goes, he says. But as people know, poor old Jeff, he just gets better the older he gets. Mate, uh, it certainly looked that way in that interview. He was going to blow a gasket, I reckon, uh, oh, Jeff. Mate, he needs to take a breath. I reckon he needs to go up to Port Douglas and just chill out a bit. <laughs> Sit back, have a beer, Jeff, and just chill, mate. <laughs> well, mate, I think a few of us will be having a beer come the end of 12 rounds on February the 3rd, 2017. It is going to be a huge event. Great for sport in this country. Great for boxing. And, uh, mate, we're looking forward to it. Danny Green, great to talk to you.
Much appreciated, Seb. Thanks very much. And uh, look forward to coming to Melbourne pretty soon and, uh, and hit training camp. Triple M are proud partners of the Melbourne Cup Carnival at Flemington, where the winners come to play. And the man who is the executive general manager of that fine organisation, Mark Davies, joins us on the line. Morning, Mark. Good morning, Seb. Happy Derby Day. How about that? Do you give yourself a bit of a pat on the back when you wake up and you see that we're heading for a sparkling top of 25 for Derby Day? I start to feel like I might have done something right this year to deserve this weather. <laughs> That's it. Exactly. Karma is obviously in your favour. All right, mate, give us the picture. Are we expecting 100,000 people there today? Look, we'll go close. I think we'll go very close. I think 95 to 100. We're going to be somewhere in that ballpark. That's pretty exciting. We've had a couple of wet derby days the last couple of years. So to get 25 degrees and some sun, I think the Melburnians want to see it. It's been a long winter. Yeah, so I think a dry day is good because I seem to remember on one of the wet days of the Cup Carnival last year, a woman took her gear off and went streaking around the lawn. I suppose that's uh, something we don't want repeated? Uh, look, <laughs> you're going to have fun in the conditions. And when it's wet as it was, I think it's important that everyone tries to enjoy themselves. But I think with 25 and sunny, I think everyone can wear their finest, can have a great time and celebrate sensibly. And we think there's nothing better, nowhere better to be this year than at Flemington on Derby Day. Well, mate, and people agree with you, because you look at the guest list that this event in Melbourne, you know, a long way away from the rest of the world, seems to attract. is amazing. We talked last week about how Usain Bolt will be there on Oaks Day. I see uh, that the model and actor Scotty Eastwood, who is the son of Clint Eastwood of Dirty Harry fame, is going to be there today. Why do you think that Flemington is able to attract these sort of big names? I think you missed yourself there as well. <laughs> I'll be there today, but I'm not in the class of Usain Bolt and Scott Eastwood. <laughs> I think, I think it's just an amazing event that serves up the best of Melbourne between food and fashion, but not to mention just amazing racing. Just some great athletic efforts by the horses, but also jockeys and also the trainers. I think there's so much about Melbourne. It's an, our own homegrown event that makes it so special. People get behind it. The sponsors get behind it. And there's celebrities all around the world going, what are you talking about? I've got to come put it on my bucket list. And so uh, talk to us, for those who perhaps aren't massive racing fans, a nice day. What sort of condition is the track in and how is that going to affect the racing today for Derby Day? The track is in perfect condition at a good four. So that's great for racing. We'll probably see an upgrade to a good three uh, later in the day, but it's just a perfect track for good quality racing today. And for those of us who are a bit ignorant, the difference between good four and good three is three sort of firmer than four? Yeah, three slightly firmer. Okay, very good. Well, mate, you enjoy the day. As I said, there'll be hundreds of thousands of people out there. You got any tips for us in the derby? Uh, in the derby, well, look, the favourite's hard to go past. I think everyone likes its barrier draw. Um, but I wouldn't mind um, seeing something like a prized icon. Prized icon. I'll just make a note of that. I thought when I asked you for a tip, you were going to say, if you're in a blue dress, don't push a police, over, a police officer over in front of the cameras. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's an excellent tip to respect the police. They do an amazing job in our community and we should respect them all the time. They certainly do, and they do a great job of keeping Flemington safe and you do a great job of putting it in supreme condition. Mark Davies, Thanks, the Executive General Manager. Yes? There is still tickets at Ticket Tech this morning if they want to jump online, so I'd love to have all Melbourne come out and check out Flemington at the best. Well, you heard it there. There is an opportunity. There is an invitation, in fact, from the Executive General Manager of Flemington himself. Mark Davies, thanks for your time. Thanks, Seb. Have a good week. Enjoy today. Let's talk cricket because the squad for the first test against South Africa next week has been named. Rod Marsh named it yesterday. He's a great Australian cricketer, great of Australian cricket. You ask anyone who followed cricket in the 70s and 80s and the wicket line, bold Lily Court Marsh was part of the national vocabulary. Would have been a hashtag if the pair had played today. But as a selector, he can be a little bit kooky 
and pretty forthright in his views, and he wasn't missing yesterday. So he named the squad, which had Dave Warner, Sean Marsh, Ushman Kawaja, Steve Smith, Adam Voges, Mitch Marsh, Peter Neville, Mitch Stark, Josh Hazelwood, Nathan Lyon, Peter Siddle, and Joe Many. So Usman comes back into the side, and this was after he was dropped, Usman Kawaja, for the final test of the Sri Lankan tour. The whole thing was a disaster anyway. We lost the first two tests with him and then lost the last test without him. So after that, Usman suggested that he was the scapegoat for the tour. That's the term he used, scapegoat. Well, here was Rod Marsh's response to that term yesterday. Probably opened his mouth before his brain got working. Might have been early in the morning. He loves to sleep in, Usman. (laughs) Does a lot for player-selector relations. Anyway, Mitch Marsh made the squad, but he was told he needed to bat better. His best test score is 87, and though he might have the same surname as Rod Marsh, the selector wasn't about to let him off the hook. He needs to bowl well and bat well, Mitch. He really does. And uh, unfortunately, in the Shield game, he did neither. Ouch. And then there's Jackson Bird. Bird bowled well in his last test in New Zealand earlier this year. He took seven wickets in an Australian win back in February, but he was overlooked for Joe Many. Many, of course, who has the interesting record of bowling the worst figures on debut for an Australian in a one-day international with naught for 80-something. Well, Jackson Bird was given a very strange reason as to why he wasn't selected as a bowler in the Australian Test team. I said to Jackson the thing that probably cost him a place was his batting. His batting. He's a bowler. Anyway, work that out. The best thing about it is that Peter Siddle, the great Victorian, has made the squad of 12. Hopefully he isn't carrying the drinks and we actually see him roll a few over. And if it's one thing you need to know about racing this spring carnival, this Melbourne Cup carnival, it's the story of Kieran Maher. Now, you might know that he's a trainer and that he's got the favourite in the Melbourne Cup, which is Jamaica. What you might not know is how he got there. And it's a great story and it's why he earned the nickname The Horse Whisperer. He was a jumps jockey, but then he got a bit too fat, so he decided he would go into training. But when you start off as a trainer, obviously nobody wants to give you a horse that they could send to Lee Friedman or the Cumming Stables, so he couldn't get any decent horses. So what he did was he went out and bought broken down old stayers and taught them how to jump, because jumps racing was what he knew. Down at Warrnambool, where he's from, he won some of the big jumps races down there and became the king of jumps racing working his way up to the point where he is now training thoroughbreds. And at the age of 35, he has the favourite in the Melbourne Cup, the mighty mare, Jamaica. You're going to meet the man himself, Kieran Ma, with his red curly hair on the program next here on the Weekend Breakfast. If you're not a keen racing fan, here's what you need to know about the Melbourne Cup. There's a horse running called Jamaica. She's a four-year-old mare. She won the Caulfield Cup, and she's trained by one of the nicest blokes you'll ever meet in Kieran Ma. So nice. In fact, he joins us on the line now. Morning, Kieran. Morning. Morning, Zeb. You're now on the verge of a potential Melbourne Cup. You must be excited to be here, and you're only, what, 35? Uh, yeah, I'm very excited, actually. Uh, the horse had a really smooth campaign. Um, she was super her past couple of runs. She was uh, no match for Hartnell in the Turnbull. Um, and then we aimed to sort of have her peak for the Caulfield and Melbourne Cups. And uh, she was very dominant in, in the Caulfield Cup and, and really uh, got through the finish line strongly. So it gives you a bit of confidence going towards the Melbourne Cup. Well, you know, somebody asked me what you looked like this week. And I said, picture the sportier little brother of Dave Gleeson from the Screaming Jets. Have you ever had that comparison before? <laughs> well, there's been a few, but uh, um, 
Yeah, no, I haven't had that one before. <laughs> it's a compliment, mate. Trust me. You've got both the sportiness and the rock starness combined. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, anyway, my, my mind's uh, firmly on the job at the moment, <laughs> and uh, hopefully we can kick off another big one on Tuesday. Very good. And you've got a runner in the derby today. Beach Life is the horse. What do we need to know about him? Uh, Beach Life, he's improved uh, every every start this campaign it took a while for his coat to sort of come out and for him to really blossom but uh i thought his last run he had to do it quite tough he had to make a run before the bend i think he'll improve off that he's he's his work's been uh we've upped his work and i think that's really brought him on also so we've aimed to peak him for the derby and uh you know i think he i think he should i think the top weight sacred elixir uh, will be very hard to beat. It was um, it's drawn barrier one and and uh, it was you know very dominant last start. So uh, I'm I'm happy with my bloke, but I think um, it's probably the top weights to lose. Well, it's going to be a sparkling day, so hopefully uh, you know we all enjoy it and get some winners in there. I mean, I just want to finish up with this question. You've obviously had spring campaigns before, but to have one like this where you know all the attention has largely been on Jamaica, especially since she won the Caulfield Cup and now you know right in the middle of Melbourne Cup favouritism, how has it been different for you? Well, for me, uh, well, yeah, there's been uh, quite a quite a number of cameras and reporters and uh, interviews and stuff like that, but. Um, Certainly a good, a great uh, problem to have because you know she's obviously one of the one of the favourites for the for the big dance and uh, yeah you know you just you just uh, I suppose take it in your stride. Well, mate, we wish you all the very best both today and come Tuesday, and I really appreciate you having a chat to us on uh, Triple M's weekend breakfast. Kieran Ma, thank you very much. Thanks very much, Zeb, and thanks for having me on. And as we told you last week, Usain Bolt is in town. Or as his fellow Jamaican Chris Gale would describe him. He certainly is. In fact, probably the greatest sporting champion on the planet. And I read with interest in the Herald Sun this morning, and there's a story there that Crown have partly brought Usain Bolt out to Australia. And apparently they've paid him a lot of money to stay behind closed doors and keep low profile until they unveil him to Melbourne at the Oaks Day lunch on Wednesday. But Bolt being Bolt, he can't help himself. And his great mate, the great Johnny Stephenson, have been out on the town. They've been seen uh, bowling with some buxom blondes, according to the Herald Sun, before hitting the Billboards nightclub on Thursday, partying and Snapchatting up until 3 a.m. Now, Bolt is a legend, and while I've got nothing against billboards, if you don't know what it is, it's a bit of an institution. It's a nightclub that's been down on Russell Street in the CBD near Chinatown corner of Russell Street in Little Burke for many, many years. In fact, I think Glenn Wheatley, John Farnham's manager, may have even founded it, and uh, the chief, Jason Dunstall, has been around. Nothing against billboards, but I reckon there are better places you could take Usain Bolt for a beer in Melbourne. Just putting it out there. And in fact, we're having a bit of a discussion on Twitter. If you want to join us at Seb Costello 9 is the Twitter handle. Where would you take Bolt for a beer in Melbourne? Give us a call if you like, one triple three five three. Andrew McCormack, who's a well-known sports journalist at Channel 7, has suggested that it must be the $4 vodka raspberries at billboards that got him over the line. And I can understand that that is very tempting, but surely there's a few more modern places, even at Crown where he's staying. Anyway. 
If you missed Danny Green earlier this morning, he wasn't missing in his regular spot. And it's mainly because Jeff Fennick, the great Australian boxer, was mocking the rematch between Greeny and Anthony Mundine and saying it was all for show. To bring you up to speed, here's what Fennick said. I know for a fact that these guys were talking about fighting in Melbourne, meeting up and having a fake argument in front of people to make to, to hype the fight up. To me, this is just a joke. It's a joke, a total joke. Now, we asked the hard questions on this program, so when Danny Green himself was on the line, we asked him what he thought of Fennec's comments. We all know Jeff is a very, very kind of bitter man. He, he, he's that bitter that he'd make a lemon screw his face up. So <laughs> he should think before he starts screaming and yelling. And, um, yeah, it... it it's just, it's a, it's a lot of bitterness coming from, from a very bitter, you know, little man. Whack. On the line is a man whose life has changed for the better. And you wouldn't meet a bloke who deserves it more. A lovely guy who was knocking around playing suburban footy in the amateurs for Richmond Centrals when he won a torpedo or a distance kicking competition on grand final day 2015. Well, one thing led to another, and he ended up getting himself a scholarship as a punter in American football at the University of Houston, which is one of the biggest schools in that country. And he joins us on the line now. G'day, Dane Roy. G'day, mate. How are you going? Oh, mate, it's great to hear your voice, and I understand the team's doing well. You've played eight games. You've won six of them. But, mate, now that you've got over there and settled in, you've probably found a few uh, language issues. And I understand when you first started, you were looking for some footwear and they didn't quite get what you were on about. What happened there? Yeah, I was kicking in my uh, runners, or as they call them, tennis shoes. And uh, foot was getting a bit sore. And I said, hey, uh, can I borrow some boots? I just want to kick in. And they just looked at me with a puzzled look on their face. And they were like, why does this guy want to kick in cowboy boots? <laughs> but uh, they call them cleats. I quickly found out that um, there was a language barrier there, but I still call them boots, and I call it a kick, even they, even though they think that I'm a punter. <laughs> and you go for a punt, yeah, kick, punt, same thing. Exactly. I'm sure you got a lot to teach them, and they can teach you a thing or two too. But mate, how has the yeah. experience been? You, as I say, you've been there a while now. You've played in eight separate games, but what's it like? It's uh, it's a totally different world here. They they love it. It's um, you wouldn't even think that university f- uh, sports could be like this. Coming from Australia, we don't really have much uh, crowds attend any of those university games. But uh, it's just it's like a, a whole. It's like a grand final week, really. That first game I played was um, was a kickoff at, against Oklahoma. We got the win against them. There was like seventy thousand there. And then a couple of weeks later, we played at Cincinnati. It was the first away game. And I remember I was backed up against the uh, student section. I could not hear a thing. That was the loudest, <laughs> loudest thing I've ever been involved in at the time. Just ridiculous. As college athletes, how do they treat you uh, in terms of, you know, you, you need to be almost, I want to use the term professional, but you're not professional. But how do they treat you? No, they expect us to be professionals every every way regarding uh, anything we do. With all the training, we've got to be uh, got to go one and zero all the time. Can't take a can't take a rep off every time you hit the weight room or every time you do practice. It's you be your best. You've got to be a professional, and also when you're uh, trying to help your body recover for the next thing you do, they expect you to get into the uh, sports medicine facilities. Use up all the uh, ice tubs, the hot tubs, and the, uh, the lasers to get your body right. Any uh, any nicks and sores out. They're giving you a bit of laser treatment. Yeah, just uh, working on the knee. 
Got to get those uh, those knees right. Twenty seven year old knees are not as fresh as those eighteen year old knees running around here. <laughs> <laughs> and mate, I saw on your Twitter account you did the right thing and tried to introduce your teammates to Vegemite. Oh, what the f- Dan? Oh, what the f- is that? That's disgusting. I just swallowed. It's disgusting. <laughs> just try. It. Come on. Come on. I tried. It. What does it taste like? How does that do jerky? It's like dehydrated gravy. With shrimp paste. So there you yep. go. That's Dane Roy, the punter at the University of Houston, and Aussie introducing his teammates to Vegemite. What did they make of it? Yeah, they were unsure what to think. Because <laughs> it looks like Nutella, I'm pretty sure a lot of them thought it was going to be sweet. Even though I told them it's obviously not sweet, it's going to be savoury. They don't understand the word savoury, though. I was like... Um, how do you describe this thing? And it's either going to be sweet or savoury. And it just doesn't, they just don't understand that. They're like, they, it just gets annoying sometimes because <laughs> they combine a lot of sweet and savoury things just as like a, yeah, a nor- thing that's going to be normal. One was the, they had a sweet pumpkin, no, sweet potato and marshmallows. <laughs> That's going to be ridiculous, doesn't it? Oh, madness. We're talking to Dane Roy, who is the punter, the kicker, if you like, on the University of Houston's football team. He is a man who grew up around Drew and Wayne, Victoria, then won a distance kicking competition at the grand final last year and since has turned that into an amazing opportunity. And, mate, part of that, of course, is the educational opportunity. I mean, you get to play football in front of 70, thousand people but you also get a high class education at an American university yeah uh, being back in the classroom in your late 20s what's that been like uh, it's a different experience because uh, the teachers are totally different to what oh, they call them professors here sorry they are uh, totally different to what I've uh, had in year 12 down at Warrigal but um, I'm trying to get myself at the front of the classroom so I don't really miss anything because I want to get a uh, I want to get a good score so I can keep playing <laughs> Is that right? The, um, so it's all tied into your grades, is it? Your ability to be part of the yeah, football team? Yeah, I think you need to maintain a GPA of over like two something. But um, I've been getting some pretty good results. So I think my GPA is nearly three, three and a half. I want to keep that up because oh, that'll mate. mean that uh, the average will stay up over the next couple of years. Oh, mate, that's great to hear. In what ways are you a different student to the bloke who did year 12 at Warrigal? I wasn't really paying attention. I wanted the uh, year 12 to finish very quickly so I could uh, get out of schooling and then I could start earning some money. But now that I'm a bit older, I realise that uh, money kind of stops after a certain uh, point in the career career ladder. And if you don't have a little piece of paper that says degree on it, people don't really want to hire you anymore for those bigger jobs. Yeah, and mate, you're putting yourself in such a good position to, uh, you know, to really make something of that degree, regardless of what happens with football. Do you ever just pinch yourself yeah, exactly. though that here you are, you know, a boy from from out Warrigal Way, kicking a little piece of pigskin in front of seventy thousand people every week? Yeah, it's uh, sometimes a, a, um, I'm driving along on the bus, look out the window, and I just see like a word, and just just hits me again thinking what have you done to get here like what what are you doing with yourself but um then I just have a think about where I've come from and where I'm going and it just gets it's just really exciting because like anything can happen regarding sport or if it's an an opportunity comes up for a career or a workplace and it's just uh, the possibilities are endless as they say
Mate, and you've done it off your own boot, literally. And uh, I can say I'm thrilled for you, having spent a bit of time with you. And I know a lot of people will be thrilled hearing your story. So you can check him yeah. out on Twitter, at DRoy is the handle. A name, no doubt, uh, you'll hear down in the future. And we're looking forward to watching you over there at the University of Houston. Great to chat, mate. Thanks for that. Taking some tweets at the moment, we were talking about how Usain Bolt was supposed to be staying behind closed doors under his agreement with Crown, but he can't help himself, so he's been getting out and about around town. He was out at Billboards the other night, which is a long-standing nightclub on Russell Street in the city, and it did occur to me that if you're going to take Bolt out for a beer somewhere in Melbourne, maybe, maybe you could do a bit better than billboards. I'm just putting it out there. We've had some tweets. Cam suggests that Melbourne Public is the way to go. Das will like to hear that, given that that's one of his establishments. And Matty Simpson has said, I think taking Usain Bolt to billboards on a Thursday night is 100% the right move. So maybe I need to reinvestigate a little bit and have a look into billboards. Still to come, I want to get stuck into the Mariah Carey and James Packer split. There's a few... Bits of that that fascinate me, especially as we can now sort of reveal that when they first got together, Packer rang up a very well-known gossip journalist and he said, look, I don't like the way this relationship is being mocked in the press. We are 100% the real deal and I want you to start reporting it as such. Well, unfortunately, it seems to be the end of the road. I speak, of course, from the Nine Network, the Nine News team, Jade Vincent. Good morning. And from the Ten Eyewitness News team, their police reporter, Chanel Vella. Hello. Now, I'm fascinated by James Packer and Mariah Carey, and I need a bit of a buff heads guide. So we've got <laughs> Australia's richest bloke. He's head over heels in love with one of the most successful singers of all time. Pump diva. And then this week... What, it's all over? It's all over, according to Woman's Day. <laughs> <laughs> nice little condition there, Jade. Yeah, I like yeah. it. So what happened? Look, of course, very much in love, and we love a power couple. Yeah. And then this week we find out there was an incident in Greece. Right. And he has apparently, allegedly, all of the above, done something very awful to her assistant, and it's over. Do we know what that very awful thing is? We don't. Could it possibly be any more awful than something Mariah would have done herself don't to her you. assistant over don't, the journey? Don't you talk she about Mariah She is known Mariah for being like a diva. But that's why we love her. But she insists that she has her own music play in restaurants when she walks in. I do that too. How and, did James survive as long as he did? And puppies in her, you know, her stage rooms. Oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> Got a bit worried when you were talking about Mariah's puppies oh, because, <laughs> no, there's just a few people that thought you might be talking about something else. There is an official statement from Mariah Carey. Read it out. Should I read this? Yes. Okay. Mariah and James had a fight in Greece and have not seen each other since. The fight was not because of cheating allegations or excessive spending by Mariah. James is one of the most successful businessmen in the world. They are trying to work it out right now. They're not sure if they will stay together. Mm, Apparently the engagement is off. And what about the ring though? This ring is 35 carat diamond ring, $10 million dollars. But apparently she gets to keep it. I wouldn't give it back. No, I, I would hock that. Can I, <laughs> <laughs> I, can would I just not. ask the ignorant man question? So carrot is mm. a measurement of how big the stone is. Is that right? Correct. I think. This and is then, like, I'll put it in, a, in an easy term for yep. everyone. This is the MCG of rings. It is, <laughs> it is a whopper. That's what it is. It is yeah. a whopper. What's it worth? 
$10 million. Ten, she wears $10 million on her finger. On her little finger, yeah. I'm keeping it if I'm <laughs> her. One, mm. She doesn't need it. She's got a no, lot of money. And but... I didn't buy the excessive spending claim either. Mm. Come on, Mariah. Well, look, imagine the royalty she gets off All I Want for Christmas is you <laughs> every year. She Just from Maya alone. She doesn't need James Packer's money. <laughs> so what is she doing? She He gives her this $10 million engagement ring. They break up. What is she doing with the ring? I think it's just sitting on her dressing table. So she's keeping it. Collecting dust. Not even there. It's in her shoe closet or something. (laughs) She has to give it back though, doesn't she? Nah. She has to. No, it's a gift. He spent $10 million on her and now she doesn't want to spend the rest of her life with him. I think the rule is. Oh, pretty greedy from you two. If he's done. (laughs) Never said I wasn't. (laughs) If he's done something wrong. You get to keep the ring. You get to keep the ring. Except do you wear it though? She's been spending too much, it says in Women's Day. (laughs) But probably spending her own money. Who's to say there's no clause in there about whose money it is? Do you know what I love about Mariah though? We saw a little clip from her upcoming reality TV show and all of her interviews, sort of those little in-between segments, she's lying down in lingerie. Oh, gosh. When's the show on? Oh, December. Uh, For research, I'm probably going to need to watch it. Uh, So you would keep the ring? 100% I would keep it. We need to settle this. We need the the Triple M audience to give us a ring. One triple three five three, or send us a tweet at Seb Costello 9. Should Mariah Carey give James Pack his $10 million ring back? Or have you asked for your ring back? (laughs) (laughs) That would be interesting. Should Mariah give the ring back? Nicole at Keylor, what do you think? Yes. Why do you say that, Nicole? Um... She doesn't need it. It's just being greedy. And why would you want the memories? <laughs> I, I'm, Seriously. Oh, that's, thank you for your call, Nicole. We're with Jade Vincent from Channel 9 and Charnel Vella from Channel 10. Would it remind you of bad memories? No, because you, you sell it. And you, or you melt it down into something <laughs> even better. You, you erase the memories and keep the money. I love it. Make them into earrings. Maddie from Sorrento, what's your take on this situation? Oh, the way I look at it, uh, me and my partner at the time, we're engaged. Two, three days later, we broke up. She had a shower. She took the ring off. I grabbed her clothes and went at the door. Oh, uh, Maddie. Sneaky. <laughs> hang on, hang on. So you took the ring with you? Yeah, took the ring with me, cashed it in. Uh, that weekend, went out to the city with the boys in the limo, went to the casino, actually lived it up. I applaud it. Has she ever asked for it back, Matt? Oh, she's complained about it. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Hey, Maddie. I'm rewarding that. You've got a season pass to see Jack Reacher Never Go Back starring Tom Cruise in cinemas now. The movie's called Ooh, Never Go Back. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> Hang on there, Maddie. That's yours. Let's go to Adrian from Essendon. What's your take on this, Adrian? Mate, she has to give it back. It's a low act that she keeps it. I wouldn't be, want to be the next guy that goes out with her and there's a ring on there from James Packer. You'd just be thinking about him the whole time. That's and you couldn't compete point. with the $10 million ring, can yep. you? No. <laughs> Adro, thank you for your call. You've got tickets too to Jack the Reacher. As you point out, Chanel, the movie is called Never Go Back, starring Tom Cruise in cinemas now. Thank you for our callers. Mm. Are you, uh, there's a few tweets too that we'll get to. Uh, we just want to finish off before we go. Jade, you've been following the story of the Corkman Irish pub or the Carlton Inn that's been demolished illegally down near Melbourne University, and there's been a development this morning, and not the type of development that they want it to be. <laughs> We're hearing that they're going to be fined $20,000. They've committed, apparently, to rebuilding the pub brick by brick, um, as you say, after they demolished it illegally, but they're going to be fined $20,000. Is that right? It's not enough. Which just seems like a drop in the ocean. Um, It was a bit of a priceless treasure to the the Carlton locals, especially the Melbourne Uni students there. So, 
Yeah, it's, it's like point zero zero five percent of a James Packer engagement ring. Exactly, <laughs> that but is I've, not enough. The catch twenty two of this is they rebuild the pub. It's got all this publicity now, mm. and everyone goes there. And, That's good, and everyone they get all their business. It's actually going to be a fair income event space now. Well, exactly. You no, know? need a bit of parkland, I think, there too, though. So, or a beer garden or something. Absolutely. But I mean, and I think you covered this story too, Seb. We spoke to some of the locals out there and they were just shattered. Yeah. And, you know, their buildings were shaking as the, the building was coming down. So, yeah, it was pretty upsetting for those mm. guys out so there. So I hope they do a bit more though. 20000 does sound a little small. Yeah, not enough. Not enough. Especially when there were threats originally of about a million dollars in fines if they were going to take them through the magistrate's court. So $20,000 yeah. is rubbish. No. Well, thank you very much for coming in. Jade Vincent from Channel 9. Pleasure. Sean Elvella, Channel 10. Thank you for having me. We might end hyphen. We don't usually play Mariah Carey, but mm. in honour of the relationship, mm. Nikki Six from Motley Crue has done a version of her hit Without You. I can't live. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think of that? I'm not enjoying it. I'm not enjoying <laughs> I'm not it. No. See you next week, guys. Triple M trainees, wise up. Ditch the paperwork and run your business on bridge. Triple M's Weekend Breakfast with Seb Costello.